0: This is John 5. So at this point in Jesus' ministry, his public ministry, he's gotten a lot of popularity. He is gathering quite a crowd of people around him. And he's doing it because he's got these astounding signs and powerful preaching. All this stuff that he's doing is to validate his deity, that he is the Son of God, that he's the Savior of the world, the long-awaited Messiah. This is why he's doing all the signs. This is why he came and intervened into our world to be able to, to rescue us. So he's doing this stuff, But a lot of people didn't quite get that he is the son of God. But they were following him because of all the signs that he was doing. And we find in chapter 5, after this, um, after he had done some healings, he goes to um, Jerusalem. So he's finished his ministry in Galilee. That has ended. And there's a lot more of the signs and things that he did in Galilee um, and the other gospels, the synoptic gospels, tell of those other miracles. There's only like one here that John records. Pretty much Mark chapter 1 to 9 is entirely about his Galilean ministry. So if you want to know what he was, has been doing all this time, you can take a peek at Mark. But the crowds were gathering. Luke 12:1 says this about the crowds. So many things thousands of the people had gathered together that they were trampling one another. So this was like, you know, a huge, huge people coming to see him. They were just walking over each other and they were mostly curiosity seekers and they were looking for free food too. Okay. So this crowd is following him around. He goes down into, um, Jerusalem, chapter 5. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and that Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades, and in there lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. We have to get a right understanding of the scene here. This is a pool. That was probably a mineral pool because it's got like a tint of red to it, and minerals have healing powers. And it was an intermittent spring. It would, time to time, whatever was going on underneath the ground, the spring would well up and the waters would bubble and churn. And then it would go down and it'd wait a while and then it would bubble and churn. I don't know if anybody in here has a new American Standard Bible, but in the New American Standard Bible in 1995 version it says this For an angel of the Lord in in their verse 4 For the angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons in the pool and stirred up the water whoever then first whoever then first after the stirring up of the water stepped in was made well from whatever disease with which he was afflicted New American Standard this has been omitted from most of our translations the one that we have because most reliable greek manuscripts it's not included in that okay but this was an understanding at the time that something mystical happened they supernaturally you know an angel whatever happened these people had this belief that if they went there and they were the first ones to get into that pool, they would be healed. How that started, we don't know. Um, But now we know that it was an intermittent spring that happened, okay? So it was a pool. And it was by the sheep gate. The sheep gate that was along the wall that surrounded the temple, they had several gates. The Old Testament talks about those gates. This particular gate was where the animals for sacrifice were let in. The sheep, the cows, the doves, the oxen, they came in through this gate. And they didn't go back out through that gate. Every sheep that went through that gate was sacrificed. It was probably a very filthy place because all the animals were there. Maybe even the pool was used to wash the animal off before they presented it to the authorities on on you know sacrificing it but it was it was they didn't have really the system that we have today with sewer system and stuff so it was a pretty filthy place the sheep gate five roofed colonnades which is basically a pillars with a roof and it was they were located around the pool i don't know if it was a pentagon or two sides with three sections, whatever, they called them five. But to let us know that this was a massive place, there were a lot of people there, multitudes of invalids. Now, get a picture of this. They didn't all have little nurses to take care of them. They didn't have someone coming in to take care of their bedpan or to wipe their nose or anything. And if they were lame and they couldn't walk, a lot of these people were living there and stayed there. It was a filthy place. It really was. It was a place that was not pure, so probably the Jewish leaders would never go in there because they would be contaminated and they would have to cleanse themselves. So, you know, it wasn't a tourist spot. When we see the pool by the sheep gate, it's not like you're going to bring your suntan lotion and go hang out there. It was a filthy, deprived, ugly place of people that were very, very sick, invalids. Verse 5, one man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? And the sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going another st- another steps down before me and jesus said to him get up take your bed and walk and at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked masses of people masses of sick hopeless people and i could imagine if you had a sick child or some a sick person in your family it's like oh there's no hope you know the doctors can't do it. well let's let's go down by the pool by the sheep gate. Let's hang out down there and just, and let's get really close to it, up next to it, really, really close to it and and get in. And so as soon as, let's, let's take our kid and quickly go in there. So there was a massive rush to have this happen. People trampling. After 38 years, did this man give up? 38 years on this mat. That was his whole world was this mat. He probably knew who was hanging out around him. But Jesus finds him and asks him a question that's kind of obvious, the answer, do you want to get healed? But he does that to be able to focus the man back on his ailment. And he answers, he has no one. He has no one. This is a helpless man. And Jesus looks at him, finds him, and at once... It says, at once, the man was completely, instantaneously healed. And get this, without him even asking Jesus. He did not even ask Jesus. Like the Roman official that came down, like the woman at the well, give me some of that water. This man didn't even ask him. Hopelessly, hopeless. The only vague hope there was is if he could get his body into that pool. And he had given up a long time ago, probably. And Jesus healed him. It's a perfect illustration of God's sovereign grace. Even the faith to believe is a gift. Because there's really nothing in us. If we're spiritually dead, we're spiritually dead. So even the the whole belief is a gift from God the sovereign. Why that man? Was there anything particular about that man? Anything special about that man? Nah. One of the masses of the deplorable, ill, lost human race. Really? (laughs) Like that word? Sorry, it slips out from time to time. (laughs) We're staying away from politics today, I told everybody. So, He wasn't chosen because he deserved it. He didn't have some unforeseen faith that was there. Out of this spiritually dead group of people, God chose to redeem one. And that one person responded to him because he did get up, didn't he? He did get up, and he did pick up that mat, probably the only worldly possession that he had, and he walked. So there was a call, And there was a response. Now, we have a problem here. Well, we don't have a problem here. Jewish leaders have a problem here because this happened on the Sabbath. Verse 10. So the Jews said to this man who had been healed. Now, the Jews weren't there because they weren't going to go to this cesspool. They weren't going to hang out there. So we know from reading later, that the man got up and he went into the temple. 38 years he laid there looking at this temple, this beautiful structure, and he's outside by the filthy sheep, you know, the sheep gate out there. He goes into the temple. Why did he go into the temple? We don't know, really. I would like to guess or surmise that he went in out of gratefulness, out of joy, out of the ability to go in and now to ritually clean himself because that's what they had to do once they were healed, um, to make it, some, get some kind of validation from the, the leaders that, you know, you can now do whatever you needed to do. Um, but that's where this man was. And so the Jews found him walking around in there and he was carrying his mat. Oof. He was carrying his mat and they said to him, it is the Sabbath and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me, the man said to me, take up your bed and walk. And they asked him, who is this? And they're probably thinking they didn't see it happen. They weren't there. Who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? And now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn. There there was a big crowd in place. So he takes up his mat, he's walking around, and the Jews were so shocked that someone was carrying their mat, and they were doing it in the temple, in your face, in the temple. This was just a, a horrible thing. And they're kind of maybe thinking it was Jesus. We don't know, but they're all riled up now. Jesus refused to observe the man-made regulations that were contaminating Israel's worship. Scripture, Old Testament scripture never said, do not pick up your mac and walk around. Jesus wouldn't tell them to do that if that was a bad thing. The whole Sabbath rest is put in place as a memorial, as us to sit and worship and contemplate and and give thanks to God for all the things that He's done for us. By no means it does not mean okay, you can only walk ten steps, you can't do any any more, you can't you know um, bring someone to the hospital if they're sick, you can't you know. It wasn't meant to do that. These were all extra man-made regulations that the 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 the. Uh, the religious officials had put into place. And here's the other thing, because this question came up in our group. Why is it that we don't hold the Sabbath like we used to? Well, it has gotten watered down. But back in this day, they believed, the Jews believed, that the coming of the Messiah was tied into how perfect the Sabbath was kept. So they did due diligence in, we've got to really keep it. We've got to keep all these, but especially on the Sabbath. Because if we do, then the Messiah is going to come. They felt like they had this man, this, this uh, ability to to, on, you know, to have him you know, come quicker or sooner or be in control of all that. And so to have this man or anybody be working on the Sabbath was just, that was going to ruin the plan. Messiah wasn't going to come now, or at least not that day. But Jesus was basically teaching them the truth about god's real laws, and that is that people are hopelessly lost, and they can do nothing about it, nothing about it this man this this man that was healed could do nothing about his the state that he was in um, no matter how many Man-made laws, no matter even how much they obeyed the 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 Ten Commandments, which are which we find, you know, we know that it's impossible to do. There's nothing that we can do to earn God's approval. So, here's this man; he's in the temple. They're drilling him on who is it that made you walk. And in verse 14, afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him. See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. And the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. It's like, okay... Jesus finds him, not like he was lost or anything, but he finds him in there and he tells him to go and sin no more. We've heard that before. In other words, Jesus is saying to him, Philippians 2.12, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Do what's right. Repent. Repent of old ways or whatever you had. It was maybe he was sick because of a sin. It doesn't say that. We don't know, but we know that all death is because of sin. It's a fallen world. Disease, everything in the fallen world is because of sin. This man needed to repent and start to work out his life as a believer and to do the right thing, because if we remain in persistent sin, it could lead to eternal punishment. And the idea there is, if we cannot overcome a sin nature, because with God's Spirit in us, we have the ability to do that now, and if we don't start applying that, and have the desire to do the right thing, and really work at doing the right thing, working out our salvation with fear and trembling. There's really no evidence of our salvation. So works is a manifestation of what the heart attitude really is. He goes and he tells the Jews. Now, we can first read that and think, oh, okay, he's tattling on Jesus. I'd like to propose this. This man was so overwhelmed with joy. So in his heart, thankful, I honestly believe that Jesus completely healed him and gave him a heart of flesh also, and the Holy, well, he didn't have the Holy Spirit yet, but made him spiritually alive. And so he was filled with joy. And so when someone came and asked him who did this, oh, oh, I got to tell him, it's Jesus, I got to tell him now. This is exciting. They'll want to know because it's good news, Right? And so he goes and he tells them. Now, he didn't have the reception that the woman at the well had. What happened with her when she told, went back and told everybody? The whole town believed. And how about the official? What happened with him? His whole household believed. What happened with this poor 38, you know, well, we, older than 38 years old man? What happened to him? They didn't believe. They, he didn't have the same response. Not everybody we share the gospel with is going to be a believer. We really don't know. Our job is to do what? Share the gospel. The fruit, the outcome, that's all in God's hands. It's not up to us. Jesus is teaching his disciples, is Jesus is teaching us as his disciples that he has made salvation available to all people. All people. He crosses all the cultural uh, Borders that are up there, and he's the only one that makes salvation available. Well, the Jews completely ignored this miracle. They didn't see it. Well, they they saw it, but they didn't comprehend it. This man was completely healed. That wasn't important to them. They weren't focused on it. They were lost in their ignorant deception. They weren't really looking for the truth. And if you're not really looking for the truth, you're going to find other things. And what did these Jews find? They found Jesus guilty of violating the Sabbath. And worse, Jesus was also guilty of inciting somebody else to disobey. So their hostility toward Jesus is intensifying at this point. It's growing. And this is like the beginning of they're going to kill him now because it was a very astonishing thing what he said, that he was equal to God. Verse 17. But Jesus answered them, "'My father is working until now, and I am working his father.'" This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God." people didn't even say the word God out loud because it was so holy and removed. They didn't, they just, there was a reverence. There was, they recognized God for being all-powerful and who he is, a holy God. So they didn't even speak his name off their lips. So it was unheard of to claim equality with God. This was blasphemy to the ancient Jew. He broke their Sabbath rules and now blasphemous claim. They were enraged to kill him now. But these Sabbath restrictions that were there did not apply to God. They are for us to be a reminder to worship God, to be thankful to God, to celebrate God, to reflect upon God. Besides, God does continue to work, if you want to call it work. Who's holding the, everything in the sky and who makes the sun come up and who gives us life? That, isn't it God? He still works, right? Thank goodness if he ceased doing that, it would not look farewell for us. And so by accusing Jesus of wrongdoing, these Jewish leaders were also accusing the father of wrongdoing as well. They were completely lost. But Jesus speaks to them. This is one of the three, dial- this is the third dialogue that John records and he speaks with the strongest possible terms about his authority. We've got truly, truly's in here. We've got three truly, truly's. And remember, that's like the most power. You better wake up. You better pay attention. Put that down. Turn that phone off. Unplug. You pay attention to this. Okay? And he tells them how he's equal to God. And he's got four of them down here. I'm not going to read them for time's sake. The first one is in 19 and 20, and also at the end of this, well, near the end in verse 30. Jesus is equal to God in his works. They act together in perfect harmony. There is an absolute unity with God. There is a love there that unifies deep feelings and warm affection, causing the will and the choice to act together. This is a beautiful outcome. I mean, we could probably do a whole study on just that. That love unites... Love connects. Love has a harmony. Love is, and that's a husband and a wife. This is a team. This is a, a oneness here that even the will and the things that they do are in harmony or are together. They're one in their works. The things they do are in harmony. Second thing, Jesus is equal to God in his power and his sovereignty in verse 21. The Bible teaches that only God has the power to raise the dead and the Old Testament records several instances of God raising the dead. And Jesus also has the power to give spiritual life to whom he chooses. Verse 22 records a third one. Jesus is equal to God in his judgment. Since Jesus can give spiritual life, then he can judge. And here's the thing with that. The father gave the judgment to to Jesus, because it's in Jesus. You're either going to believe in Jesus or not. These guys believed in God. It was Jesus they fell short on, and that's where the judgment comes, in Jesus. I don't believe him. Well, then that's your judgment, or in Jesus. I believe him. That's the judgment. So it's him, the person of who he is, is a thing, and what we think about him, that's the deciding factor on the judgment. In verse 23 to 24, Jesus is equal to God in his honor. God the Father's honor is not diminished by the honor paid to Christ, but it is enhanced by it. So it was a relationship that they had, and these people stood there and listened to this and just probably weren't even listening to his words at this point, but they're written down for us and saved through history so we can understand the greatness of who Jesus is. Jesus is God. He's God. Truly, 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 Then he goes on to say this in verse 25 and following, he answers the age-old question that Job had. Job's the oldest book in in written. Job 13, 14. If a man dies, will he live again? If a man dies, will he live again? We still ponder that question today, and we still come up with, no, we turn into soil out there, or we get annihilated, or we're just, this is it, so live it up, whatever. But the truth is... Yes, you will live again after death. And there's going to be two resurrections. Everyone lives forever. Consciously and individually, everyone's life continues on past this existence. Believers receive a spiritual and physical resurrection, and unbelievers without a spiritual resurrection, they will be raised to face a final just sentencing before the great white throne. They will keep their condemnation and they will receive new bodies suited for the lake of fire. So there'll be a a bodily resurrection, but their bodies are gonna be very different than what believers have. I don't know about you guys, I can't wait to get mine. Two, two resurrections are happening there. Verse 25. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, and that hour is probably Pentecost, because the Holy Spirit hadn't been come yet, and is now here, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father ha- has life in him, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. So... Before the great white throne, we're going to stand. Spiritual resurrection. Those who are spiritually dead and insensitive to the things of God will be made alive, and God will grant us that life. I'm editing as I go. Is that apparent to you guys? Because I I don't want to run over like I did last week. Two judgments the physical resurrection, um, Jesus is saying that he is the only one capable of judging for these, both of these resurrections. And he's capable, he's a qualified judge over humanity because in Hebrews 4.15, we're told that he is tempted and yet he was without sin. So the physical resurrection will happen, the power to raise people from the dead out of the tombs will happen, Philippians 3.10 says they will be raised to both righteous will be raised and unrighteous will be raised. Why? The deeds of the heart manifest the condition of the heart. So again, I just want to emphasize that the things that we do, the good things that we do, aren't going to get us into heaven. The things that we do are going to be just the fruit of what's in there. Matthew 15.18 says this, But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. Those are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a person. It's out of the heart attitude that these things have. Luke um, 6.45 has another one. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. And Romans two six to ten is the last one here. He who he will render to each one according to his works, he being God, to those who by patience and well doing seek for glory and honor in immorality. He will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. So there will be a resurrection. There will be life after this death. And Jesus made salvation available, that eternal life for everybody, everybody. He's the only way that's there. He's talking to these Jewish leaders. Are they listening? We don't know. Jesus goes on to say this, though, because they're sitting there and they're thinking, well, this is one guy talking about himself. Where are the witnesses? Jesus knew that they needed to have more, and he had more because he was speaking the truth. So in verses 31, he talks about giving them more testimony. And he lists down here a few more. The first one he lists is in 33 to 35, and that's John the Baptist, the forerunner. Jesus had already referred to him as the greatest man who ever lived up to that point. John was already recognized by even them, maybe as true prophets, 400 years of silence. And here comes John on the scene and the masses of people were coming to him to repent, to prepare the way for the Messiah. Jesus said that you flocked to him like moths to a light, but it was not the true light. It was a reflection of the true life. So we have John the Baptist, who's a witness to Jesus being the son of God. The second one is in verse 36. The witness that was there for Jesus being the Son of God, equal to God, is the works that they did. His works were in keeping with God the Father's exact wishes. His works were unmatched by anyone else and unexplainable by anything else outside of God's power. They couldn't explain this stuff. This was supernatural. This was God. His works themselves are witness to he is equal to God. In verses 37 to 38, um, God the Father himself is going to bear a witness. And God did it in two different times, a verbal testimony of him being his son. In Matthew 3:17, at his baptism was one. God said this, Behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. His baptism. The second one, transfiguration, 2 Peter 1:17 to 19. Peter writes, for when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, quote, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Paul Peter writes, "We ourselves heard this very voice, born from heaven, for we were with him on that holy mountain. Witness again from God the Father." Verse thirty-nine holds the scriptures as a witness to Jesus being equal with God. You need to be illum- need illumination from the Holy Spirit in order to understand these scriptures. They are. Don't make a lot of sense if we don't have God's Spirit to help us understand. We find out in Jeremiah 31... 31 to 34, the new covenant. I, I keep referring back. I just love this verse. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days. Declare. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each other, his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will give their iniqu- iniqu- iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. He gives each of us the ability to understand his spirit to understand his word. You don't need me up here. I mean, we can all share and and think about stuff, but you guys go home and everything you hear here, everything you hear at church, you take and you bring it to yourselves in the word of God and find out. So the scriptures also bear witness to who God is, that Jesus is the son of God. Now they they didn't believe they weren't buying into this they were in unbelief verse 40 tells us why they had such unbelief Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life I do not receive glory from people but I know that you do not have the love of God within you they did not have a new heart They had no love of God. And what do we know about the love that the Father and the Son have together? They work together in harmony. They think together. They do things together. When we have the love of God in our heart, we have a transformed mind. They had no love. They were self-righteous, self-seeking their own glory. And if you're seeking your own glory, they cannot glorify Christ. They had no humility, they recognized no need for a savior, so they weren't looking for him. Jesus knew that he didn't need any, no respect from them. Respect from them was totally worthless to them. And there were many false messiahs that had been on the scene already, that people believed in it. They had no love in them. And the final test, the final issue here of him being the son of God, the witness, in verse 46. 45. Do you think that I will accuse you to the Father? There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? They almost had a superstitious reverence for the letter of the law yet they ignored the clear evidence that's poured out there. It's like the story of Lazarus in Luke 16. The rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, who feasted scrumptuously every day, and at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores and desired to be fed with what fell on the rich man's table, off the table, Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried into the angels, to to Abram's side. The rich man also died and was buried, and he in Hades. Being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham off far and Lazarus at his side, and he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, Remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides, all this between us and you is a great chasm that has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to to you may not be able and no one may cross over there to us. And he said, then I beg you, Father, to send to my father's house for I have five brothers, so that they may be warned, lest they come here in this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, If they did not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. The evidence is sufficient, sufficient, that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. That he is the only way to eternal salvation. And we as believers, our job, our work to do is the work of the Savior, is to share that good news. And we don't have to have a heads up ahead of time whether they're going to accept it or not. It's not up anything magical about what we say, our job is just to share the good news because that's our work also. God, give us the boldness, give us the clarity, give us the desire to want to just share the good news to your glory. In the name of Christ, amen.